The Old Testament reading for the second Sunday in Lent is from Genesis chapter 32. That same night, Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men, and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of his thigh. O Lord, have mercy on us. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 15th chapter. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. O Lord, have mercy on us. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We have two examples in our lessons today, two examples of faith. We have the example of Jacob, who wrestled with God, and we have the example of the Canaanite woman, who wrestled with Jesus. But before we get to their examples, first notice what's so surprising about God in these lessons. Compare him with the devil. Last week, we heard about the devil, who at times masquerades as an angel of light. He comes alongside as a friend, offering his care and compassion, luring us to believe his word instead of God's. That's what he did in the garden with Adam and Eve. That's how the devil approached Jesus, and that's how he often approaches you and me. The devil comes as a friend. You need God's word to recognize him 
and to resist him. But if the devil looked like a friend last week, this week it is God who looks like an enemy. Now, he's not an enemy. Make no mistake. Let there be no doubt in your minds that God is for you and not against you. He is your friend and not your enemy. The final proof is the cross of Jesus, where God's love for you was poured out in abundance to the point of death. But he does not always seem to be for you. Sometimes God looks like an enemy. That much is plain in our Old Testament lesson. <clears throat> Let me give you a bit of background to the story just to, make, to help make sense of it. Jacob is the main character in our Old Testament lesson. He is the son of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were the first three generations of the patriarchs. They were the ones to whom God first gave the promise that by a child of theirs, all the nations of the world would be blessed, and they would receive the promised land, and their family would number more than the stars in the sky. That's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who are the beginnings of that family. Isaac was born to Abraham when Abraham was 100 years old in fulfillment of God's promise that Abraham would have a child and that through that child all the nations of the world would be blessed. This was, of course, the continuation of the promise that God gave to Adam and Eve all the way back in the Garden of Eden, that after they sinned, God promised them that the devil would be crushed by one of their offspring, by one of Eve's children. Abraham's family was carrying on that promise. So the promise would go from Abraham to Isaac and on to the next generation. But there was a bit of a dilemma because when Isaac's wife, Rebekah, became pregnant, she was pregnant with twins, Jacob and Esau. Which one of those would be the heir? That was the big question. Which one of those would inherit not just the household, but the promise? Now, Esau was born first, and so Isaac, his father, was sure it would be him. He was the firstborn. But Rebekah had asked God, and God told her this perplexing thing. He said the older son would serve the younger. It would be the second-born twin, Jacob, who would inherit the blessing and the promise, the same Jacob that's in our lesson today. Not surprisingly, Isaac didn't give up his hopes for his firstborn son Esau. And neither did Esau take very kindly to Jacob trying to receive the blessing in his place. And so it was through deception and trickery that Isaac accidentally blessed Jacob instead of blessing Esau. Jacob pretended to be Esau when his father Isaac was on his deathbed and couldn't see very well anymore. And so Isaac blessed Jacob thinking that he was Esau. When Esau found out what, I, what Jacob had done, when Esau found out that there was no blessing left for him, he was furious. And it became no secret at all that he meant to kill his brother Jacob as soon as his father passed away. And so Jacob's mother, Rebekah, sent him away. She sent him to her brother Laban's house. And he lived there. Jacob lived there 20 years, working for his uncle Laban and growing his family. But finally, it was time for him to go home. God sent him home. True to form, he played a trick, again, this time on his uncle Laban, and he had to sneak away in the middle of the night with his family. But once he was free from his uncle, there was a new danger to consider. 
Laban was behind him, but Esau, Esau was ahead of him. It had been 20 years. But was it 20 years of festering rage, or had Esau forgotten the whole thing? That's the question that Jacob is considering right now. As he waits on this side of the Jabbok River, with his family and his property and all his household on the other side, as he waits to see what will happen in the morning, he doesn't know how Esau will feel about him. He didn't know how Esau would feel about him, but he did have this word from God. God had said, I will surely do you good. I will surely do you good. And I will make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Jacob had God's word of blessing, just as his father Isaac had and his grandfather Abraham before him, and Jacob believed God. But then, in the middle of the night, the night before Jacob was to meet Esau, a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Out of the blue, as Jacob stood by himself on the banks of the river, this man appeared and attacked him. I suppose that he thought it was Esau at first. That would make sense. That seems to be most likely. But as they wrestled, something strange happened. The man put out his hand and touched Jacob's hip, and immediately it was put out of joint. This man with whom Jacob was wrestling was none other than God himself. With a touch, Jesus so often healed the lame, but here, with a touch, God made the healthy injured. God injured the healthy. Jacob thought that his biggest obstacle was meeting his brother, but now he found that he was opposed by God himself. He was wrestling with God himself. It makes all his other problems pale in comparison. The very same God who had promised him grace and every blessing, and who had promised the same to his family for generations, that same God now appeared as an enemy. He was against Jacob. For all it mattered, he may as well have been wrestling with Esau. What difference was there? Esau wanted to kill him. God, right here and right now, seemed to want to kill him as well. This was a severe trial for Jacob. It was a time of sweat and agony. Not only is he struggling, but it seems that his hope, his hope for goodness and for blessing, that hope has turned against him. Maybe you know what this is like. Indeed, you most certainly do if you've ever experienced trials of any kind. By trials, I mean suffering, crosses, afflictions, out of which you cannot see your way. In those moments when the rug gets pulled out from underneath you, when you feel like you're in a free fall, when your life is out of control, it is very hard to perceive whether God is for you or against you. It can very much feel like he is the one opposing you, like he has become your enemy. When you've cried out to him just as he told you to, and all you hear is silence. That was the experience of the Canaanite woman in our gospel lesson this morning. She was in a desperate trial as well. It was a time of sweat and agony for her as it was for Jacob. For her daughter was severely oppressed by a demon. And she came out crying to Jesus, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. 
Now, it's important to know the significance of this place she was. She lived in Tyre, in the region of Tyre and Sidon. Jesus had traveled from his home country into a pagan and Gentile territory. These folks were godless people, engaged in all kinds of wicked religious practices and vices. They were not among the tribes of Israel. They were not God's people. The Canaanites were supposed to have been wiped out by the armies of Israel long, long ago. It was only because of Israel's unfaithfulness in keeping God's command that any Canaanites remained. And so here was this amazing thing. This woman, a Canaanite, not an Israelite, from the stock of ancient enemies of God's people. Here she was, and she cried out to Jesus. She cried out to him not as some magician or healer, but as Lord. Did you hear that? She called him Lord, Master, Ruler, and even more as Son of David. She saw him as royalty from the line of kings of the promised shoot of Jesse. She recognized all of that. She must have heard all of that about Jesus, and so she cried out to him for mercy. But her struggle was not over. She thought she struggled with the demon who oppressed her daughter. But as she cried out to Jesus, what did Jesus do? He did not answer her a word. Silence. That makes you uncomfortable with Jesus. If it makes you uncomfortable to have him respond with silence to someone pleading for his mercy, if that makes you uncomfortable, then you're paying attention. It does not seem very Jesus-like to ignore someone who is showing such faith and who is in such need. That's just the kind of person he's looking for, isn't it? But that's not the half of it. The disciples thought they knew what was going on. Look, they said, don't help her because she deserves it. Obviously she doesn't. But help her so we can have some peace and quiet. She keeps on harping on you. She keeps on going on and on. But Jesus says no. And why? I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I will not help her, Jesus says. She's not one of God's people. The Canaanite woman had no shame. She came and she knelt before Jesus, begging, Lord, help me. What more could she do? How much more could she humble herself? She'd been brought low, miserably low, far, far lower than she thought she would. And yet, Jesus is not finished. It is not right, he says, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. It's not right to take the mercy and faithfulness apportioned for God's people, for Israel, for the Jews, and to give it to you, an enemy. You're a Canaanite. You and your people are dogs, wicked and godless. By all rights, you shouldn't even be here. How would you have reacted? How degrading it seems. How unkind and uncharitable Jesus sounds. He sounds unlike God, unlike the God we know who is love. How unlike Jesus to appear to be so against someone who is begging for his mercy, who is longing from the depths of her need for his mercy. It's important for you to see this because God deals with you in the very same way that he deals with Jacob and the Canaanite woman. Perhaps he does not grapple with you in hand-to-hand -hand combat the very same way that he grappled with Jacob. 
More familiar is probably when he seems to be silent. When he seems not to acknowledge you and your pleas. When you call out to him and he does not seem to answer. Or when you suffer. When you suffer for doing good. And it seems that there is no reward for faithfulness. It seems that what you receive instead is punishment. When you do everything just as God has told you to and it does not pay off. When what you receive instead is scorn and false reproach and misery. Then it seems that God is your enemy. Or finally, when you are laid low. When your health fails you. When you or your loved ones are at death's door when it is for no apparent reason, senselessly, suddenly, tragically, when you feel the weight of your mortality and it seems like God has abandoned you, or worse, that he himself is oppressing you, then it seems that God is your enemy. Why? Why does he let himself appear that way? Why does he seem to be against his people? Why does he oppress them? To answer that, we need to finish each of these stories. When Jacob realized that God was wrestling with him, Jacob refused to let go. I will not let go unless you bless me, he said. Here you are, wrestling with me, opposing me, appearing as my enemy, but I know what you have promised. I know what you have promised. I have heard and believed your words. Your words of grace and mercy and a future with you for me and not against me. I have your words. Now keep them. When the Canaanite woman heard Jesus deny her most desperate plea, she did not weep or go away mourning, but she insisted. Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. You can call me a dog and I am glad to be a dog, so long as you are my master. I know how great your blessings are, how strong you are to save. I know that even the smallest portion of your grace and mercy is enough to save my daughter. I have heard your promises, and I believe them. They are your promises. Now keep them. And she was right. God had made promises, and not just for Israel, but for the whole world. For any who would believe. By faith, this woman, this Canaanite woman, was a true Israelite. She was a true Israelite, though she lived in a godless nation. By faith, she was a child and not a dog, though she lived among the nations, among the pagans. By faith, she and Jacob both saw through the mask of God's opposition. They saw through his mask to the promises that they had heard and believed. Why does God appear to be an enemy? Why does he appear to oppose his people? Why does he come to them with trials and suffering? Why does he lay upon you crosses and afflictions? It's so that faith can grow. It is so that we learn how little help anything else is in this world. How our only help is God. How if he is not for us, if he is not for us, we stand no chance. We have no hope. If God is not for us, then we are lost. But he is our help. He has promised. His word of blessing, of forgiveness, life and salvation, of grace and mercy, won by the cross of Jesus, that word is eternal. 
We have it as clear as day. You hear it here every Sunday. You can hear it every day as you read your scriptures. Every day, his word is there, sounding out with his promises. And that word is eternal. And he wants you to use it. He wants you to know his promises and to hold him to them. Call on him in the day of trouble. Not in the desperate wish, the faint wish that he'll answer you, but in the certainty that because he said he would, he will. Do not let God off the hook. Do not turn away in despair, but hold him to his promises. Do not let go until he has blessed you. Have no shame. Fall at his feet when he is silent and beg. Humble yourself. Claim nothing for yourself except his rich and abundant promises. Follow the example of Jacob and the Canaanite woman. Learn from them what faith looks like. And learn from them that you have a heavenly father who wants to give you every good thing. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.